Brought to us by Bud Light. Easy to drink, easy to enjoy. It's Jerry Dulac from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, as well as the Pittsburgh Steelers Radio Network. You can listen to Jerry for the final two hours of the pregame show in advance of Ravens and Steelers at Akershire Stadium on our broadcast partners, ESPN Pittsburgh and WDVE. I will be on bright and early, 9 until 11 for the first two at Stage AE. Jerry, interesting day over the south side today. We saw some pushback from Matt Canada against CBS based on what CBS had to say regarding those comments from Spiro Didis that Canada told him in a pre-show meeting that the Steelers' offense just isn't designed to come back from behind. Whether that was misrepresented by Didis, as Canada suggested it was, whether that's true or not, um, I think that's the bigger talking point than whether it was misrepresented because it is true. I don't think they're capable to come back from behind. What do you think? No, well, Tim, uh, no, they're not. First of all, I, I want to say I've never been to Naughty Island. I'm thinking of vacation there. Maybe <laughs> next year. Uh, hopefully you could give me some travel information. No, you know what? I, I, it's, it's a known fact. When I say it's a known fact, I mean, they're not, they are not built to come from behind. The, the, if in fact, Matt Canada said it. It wasn't. Uh, I, I was more surprised that he would say it to somebody, uh, you know, in that setting, whatever it was, uh, you know, where it was a setting that somebody felt compelled to repeat it. But the, um, there's no question they are not built that way. They are not built that way since Matt Canada has been here. Uh, and the only time they were built that way to come from behind is when uh, Ben Roethlisberger shot off the radio helmet and said, "Hey." on this and he started going to the letter they don't have an Ohio offense but Ben went to the old know-how which means he called he wants the books open to him Kenny Pick can't do that anyhow because he's too young he's only in his well he hasn't even started a full season yet I don't think but uh, that's the only time they were built to come on when Ben just went back to the old stuff and and Matt Canna doesn't have that type of team he doesn't have that type of personnel and when you have a young quarterback too um, it's tough and so um, you know, uh, if he did say it, he's being 100% accurate. I'm just surprised if he did say it. I'm surprised it would. Jerry, are they built to get ahead even? Well, that's the way they want to play, of course, uh, Tim. They, 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 want, they want Kenny Pickett not to – it's not so much they want him to win the game as much as they don't want him to lose it. And Mike Tomlin's mindset as a defensive, defensive coach is to play close to the vest. Look, Tim, I mean, how, you could count – what percentage uh, of games are, are close all the time? They don't blow anybody out. And typically, typically, there's exception, of course, with both uh, San Francisco-themed uh, teams, they don't get blown out. And um, that's just the way they play. Uh, they rarely play, uh, blow teams out, and they're certainly not going to uh, with this offense uh, now that Ben Roethlisberger is gone. So, um that yeah they want to play from ahead and they want to be able to rely on the run but until they can get the run game going look they're not going to be run oriented they don't want to be run oriented run oriented excuse me but they want to be able to run when they feel they need to run you know bill cowers teams they said bill cowers teams ran the football which they did but bill cowers mantra was you throw early to run late and, um, you know, the Steelers, they kind of still want to do that. If you watch their game plan, they still want to come out and set the tone with the pass and mix in the run and then take over with the run. But, uh, you know, they don't, how many, how often have we seen them have that opportunity to do that? Even during the stretch last year, Tim, the seven and two in the last nine games. 
how many games did they get way out in front and could run the ball? Uh, they ran the ball better in the second half of the year, no question about it. Um, but not too often they got the lead and then, you know, as the coaches like to say, take the air out of the football. We didn't see that a lot. They just became successful running football. They've got a stretch like that coming out of the bye after they play the Ravens. They've got a span of very winnable games between the end of the bye weekend and the game against the Browns on the 19th um, up in Cleveland. But I'm not feeling real great about that. I would have had they beaten Houston regardless of what happens right. with the Ravens because the Ravens, it's always a toss-up game. But, you know, there was a moment where I looked at that schedule and said, huh, you know, they've got a real chance to be a couple games over 500 by the time they get the Browns again coming out of the Vegas win. I don't feel that way anymore. I think we lost Jerry there. We might have to try to get him back, Tom. I think the uh, line broke up. <laughs> that sounded like we were going down in the tractor beam of the Death Star at one point. No, but seriously, if you look at the schedule, and this is what was going through my mind when um, I looked at the schedule after the win against the Raiders. I saw Houston, winnable game, Baltimore coin flip. Then you saw Los Angeles, Jacksonville, Tennessee, Green Bay before Cleveland. And I had that thought in my head that it was going to be similar to what we saw last year after the bye, where it was a lot of teams that were in just as bad shape, if not close to it, with the Steelers, and that they could win those games at least at a three out of four, if not four out of four clip, and go into Cleveland in really good shape with maybe just two losses under their belt. But then you lose to Houston, the manner that you lose to Houston, and that was eye-opening. Uh, again, you lose to San Francisco on opening day, you're disappointed because of the blowout nature of the game. But you lose to Houston just as bad, that's just not supposed to happen. Like, when they would go on the road and lose to the Raiders in Oakland, and they were supposed to be the better team, you're thinking to yourself, well, there's a typical Mike Tomlin loss. This felt way worse than that. Not only did they not feel like they were ready for this game, as Najee Harris said, as Mike Tomlin said, they got it physically handed to them. And that was significantly alarming. And just not having the answers in-game to adjust to what Houston was doing, especially on offense. Especially on offense, those screen passes and toss plays and all that, uh, that was disturbing. That It just drove home the point. If they're not taking the ball away on defense with Highsmith and with Watt, they really are vulnerable on that side of the ball. Let's pick up the conversation with Jerry there. Defensively, Jerry, we've talked a lot about the offense, but defensively, Against the Texans, like we were just discussing, if they're not getting sacks and taking the ball away from the quarterback, who are they on defense? They're certainly not stout against the run. Yeah, Tim, let me go backward uh, to the point that we were discussing before I dropped uh, for whatever reason. Uh, is And my point to, to why you can't go schedule hunting with the Steelers is because <laughs> they're not they're not good enough to right. think they could go into any game and win. Uh, they, they're just not that kind of team. They could go into any game and lose. Certainly not going to give them a pass. But they are on the field way too much. There's too many three and outs from the offense, and and that's that's not an excuse because regardless, uh, teams are running the football on them. The only time they really didn't they did a decent job against Las Vegas. You know, they're allowing, what are they allowing, 147, 148 yards a game. That's what they allowed two years ago when they were last in the league. Um, so until they stop that, um, they're going to have problems. Now, it's hard to stop that 
uh, when you are you're you're rarely in your 34 base defense, and you use sub package football 75 percent of the time with two down linemen. It's very difficult to stop the run. Now you are relying on your inside backers who are going to take a beating from offensive linemen. Not, you know, there's nobody to keep the offensive linemen off the uh, off the inside backers. So it becomes very problematic to stop the run. And so when guys get a little bit out of position, you know, the guys like to talk about the run fits. When that doesn't happen, they get they get gouged. And until they figure that out, and I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend to know how they're going to do that because I don't uh, I don't know. Um, but until they do that, they can have they can have turnovers and takeaways. But if teams are able to control the ball and gouge them uh, with the run and then play action. Um, they're going to be in trouble. And, and, you know, you're talking about the screens and whatnot. That's two San Francisco-style attacks that the Steelers have no answer for. I mean, the tech, Houston Texans looked like the 49ers yeah, in that game. And, of course, yeah, and, of course, their coordinator is a, is a Kyle Shanahan guy. But uh, anybody who sees that and runs that type of offense is going to give the Steelers trouble until they figure out how to deal with it. How do you think they deal with Lamar and the Ravens this week? Well, they usually do a pretty good job with Lamar, and and you know they know they know how they have to play. The difference is going to be how you know Lamar at least has some receivers now, and Zay Flowers looks like he's going to be a big time player. I don't know what the deal is with OBJ. Is he still out, Tim? I have not heard. Uh, he checked. either practiced. I think he practiced full today. It sounded like there was only two guys, both on defense, that looked like they were going to miss the game. So it's entirely possible he's back and Bateman too, potentially for that matter. Yeah, Nate had uh, two weeks ago seven starters sat out. So um, a lot of those guys are getting healthy and coming back. Yes, they are, and you know they always do a decent job against Lamar. I just think that part of the difference here now is, um, you know, he has some receivers beyond Mark Andrews to throw to. I also view what the Ravens do offensively beyond just the prism of Lamar throwing the ball and how that's changed now and and try to incorporate what you just talked about is what can they do to replicate what the Texans did and Mike Tomlin talked about the screen game aspect and I'm wondering Jerry if you know those toss plays that they were running with such success the Texans if they can kind of replicate that with Lamar himself kind of run quarterback sweeps and try to neutralize the pass rush that way and Alex Highsmith popped up on the injury report today with a groin too so there's that element to this whole thing as well. Yeah, I mean, Lamar Lamar gives him a whole nother headache to worry about. Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud isn't going to do what Lamar can do with his feet. Now, what I saw early in the year from Lamar or in earlier games was that he was, that, you know, obviously they don't want him running a lot because they're going to pay him a lot of money. They don't want him getting banged up out there. But what I saw was him not wanting to run early in games but later in the games, in the fourth quarter, if they need him, he's going to take off. Um, you know, you're not going to replicate uh, entirely what the 49ers do and what you, uh, the Texans do because that's their st- that's their scheme. And so the Ravens aren't going to try and replicate it. But they're going to see, you know, where where have the Steelers been gouged? You know, uh, the Ravens are they're a zone running football team, and and you saw a lot of that. Um, you know, you, well, you didn't see as much of that with the Texans because they, they ran a lot of those screen plays off man blocks. So, you know, we'll see. Um, but, you know, when you play somebody twice a year, that's why division games are usually close. You really have a good feel for what each, what each side is going to do. 
And um, we haven't seen a lot of blowouts in this in this series. I don't certainly don't expect one here. Certainly not on that part of the Steelers. But I'm just curious to see how they rebound. And the, and the biggest thing, Tim, I do not think it's a good time for the Steelers be it, uh, and Matt Canada to be at home, because the last time we were at home, we know what happened. And um, coming off that Houston game, one bad series or two bad series, and they're not going to wait till the fourth quarter. It's going to start right away. And it just, you know, Tim. It just looks bad for everybody. Matt Canada, Mike Tomlin, and the Steeler organization. Just so you know, Jerry, there's lots of good golf on Najee Island. It's a little windy, plays like <laughs> Kiowa, but I think you'll enjoy yourself. Tim, let me know. Like I said, I'll look forward to that travel info. Jerry Dulac from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network with me, Tim Benz, here on 105.9 The X. When we come back, um, I'll play that clip from Ben Sherrington that I mentioned about the Pirates for next season and why the next step for them might be more difficult than we all want to admit. And uh, might revisit the Steelers, too. Got some um, Penguins talk coming up with Seth Rorba before the top of the hour as well. This is 105.9 The X. This segment brought to you by People's Natural Gas, an essential utilities company, clean, safe, reliable energy, peoples-gas.com. If you're just tuning in, before the top of the hour, we gave you the post from Andrew McCutcheon saying he can't wait for next season, thanking Pirates fans, looking forward to more of the same, etc. And uh, Ben Sherrington uh, embracing the idea of it, not being committed to it, neither side saying that a deal is done or anything for next year. But at any rate, it got me thinking because I, I did write about this for Trib Live today, and I thought it was worth bringing up. Quick break from the Steelers. It's been almost all Steelers all the time. We're going to talk Penguins next with Seth Rorba. It, it does take a special talent to lose 100 games in Major League Baseball, or in the case of the Pirates, a special lack of talent. The only thing that prevented the Pirates from losing 100 games three years in a row from 2020 to 22 was that small little matter of a global pandemic. Shorten the season to 60 games. This year's team, though, jumped by 14 wins, finishing 76 and 86. And that's worth noting, worth pointing out, not worth celebrating, um, but it's worth applauding with a golf clap for the improvement. You know, improving by even half that number again in 2024 could get the team into the wild card hunt, believe it or not. Seven more wins, like basically. One win a month, honestly, would get the Pirates over 500, would get them to 83 victories. The Arizona Diamondbacks are the franchise with the lowest win total at 84 to have qualified for the playoffs this year. So as minimal as these gains seem, it feels like equally minimal baby steps next year would actually put them in a playoff position, a fringe, at least being interesting in September. For a change, even pessimistic Pirates fans don't have to squint too hard to see what at least 500 ball may look like heading into spring training. And that's rare. It's only been four times since 93 where the team has been above 500. A 14-win jump from 62 to 76, that's one thing. But from an analytical perspective, Major League Baseball teams, even bad ones like the Pirates, they're not built to lose 100 games multiple years in a row. They made the 162-game format in 1961 for the AL, 1962 for the NL. Prior to 
21 and 22, as bad as the Pirates have been, as pockmarked as this franchise has been, in the 162-game era, they've never gone back-to-back with 100 losses until these two seasons. So a 14-win spike may look like a huge stride. It is, but at the same time, it's also more of a statistical correction than it is anything else. It's more of a return to the mean. It's not necessarily a acknowledgement that they're way better than they are. It's just that they're coming back to where the odds should settle out. Now, at the same time, if we're talking about a 5-10 to 10 game leap, which would feel like a natural progression for the Pirates. You know, you just won 14 more games this year. You get O'Neill Cruz back. You get Brian Reynolds and Cabrian Hayes maybe having good, solid seasons throughout instead of spurty, at good at the beginning, good at the end, and not so good in the middle. Davis, Rodriguez, all these youngsters who got Major League talent. If that all adds up to one more win per month, and you get yourself a 5-10 to ten game leap, now you're talking about 86 wins or 83 wins, and you're in the wild card chase. So, now, Charrington admitted, here, listen, take a listen, Charrington admits here that winning the next five games to finish at least 500-81-81, that might be more difficult than you think. Is that more difficult, and why? Why would those next ten games be more difficult to attain? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is more difficult. I think the... Uh... You know, going from the 60s to the 70s is not easy, but, you know, the next step, as you reference, is uh, I, I do believe is harder. And um, at, at winning a single game in the major leagues is hard. Lots of things have to go well to win a single game. So if you're, you were talking about that next step we need to take and adding to where we got to this year, um, it is gonna, it's not going to be easy, and it's going to require all of us to dig even deeper and, be better in kind of every kind of way. So here's here's the crux of it historically, all right? For all the years they've been bad since 93, the, the four years over 500, the three playoff years, and the one year where they won 82 games, in all those years, there have actually been eight other times where they've gotten in between 75 and 80 wins. Eight. And we all said the same kind of thing which is, hey, you know what? One more win per month. They could be in the race. Those eight other times they regressed. Or they didn't get above 500. Most of the time they regressed. So where I'm going with the thought is, is that this year, like the the best example is 2011, 2012, 2013. 2011, they took a big jump in Clint Hurdle's first year. 2012, we thought that was the year before the year. Well, they only got five games better. And they won 79 games, and they defied math down the stretch and somehow finished below 500 again. It took that extra year to get to 94 wins, and they really made a leap and got in as the wild card and stayed there for three years. So maybe this year isn't really the year before the year. Maybe this year is the year before the year before the year. You know, because you can't just guarantee that the progression for those next five to ten is going to happen like these 14 just happened. History and mathematics tell you it gets more of a difficult slog now when you're talking about getting away from the middle in the positive direction as opposed to having a 100-loss season in your 16 games below the norm in the negative direction. 
So let's just check back in 2025 and see if Johnny Cueto drops the ball again. 412-333-9939. You can tweet me at Tim Benz PGH. When we come back, we talk a little hockey. Seth Rorba on the way. Seth from Trib Live. He covers the Penguins. We'll talk about where they sit with the power play with some line combinations. Also, um, some waiver news of interest, I think, to some Penguins fans. We'll get to all that, and we'll discuss where Jake Gensel is on his road to recovery. That's coming up next. This is 105.9. One more game for the Penguins in the preseason before they get ready for the home opener on Tuesday, the 10th, against Connor Bedard of the Chicago Blackhawks. Can't wait for that one. 8 o'clock here on 105.9 The X. You can listen, and you can also read about it in the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. My colleague over there, Seth Rorba, joins me right now to talk pens as we look forward toward the regular season after the preseason finale in Buffalo. First and foremost, Seth, let's start with the health of the team and specifically Jake Gensel. Practice today up in Cranberry, and it seems like another step forward for Jake towards recovery. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, he practiced uh, today. Uh, he skated with, you know, his in his normal position on the left wing. I, although I should throw in the caveat, he sort of alternated with Drew O'Connor in that role. So, um, you know, that leads me to believe he's not all the way back. Uh, you know, we were given that initial forecast of Kyle, by Kyle Dubas back in August that he might miss the first five games of the uh, regular season. But um, uh, it certainly just to the naked eye seems like he's – yeah, you know, maybe a little bit ahead of that schedule, but um, but yeah, he did skate kind of in in the in with uh, Sidney Crosby on the first line there, albeit alternating with Drew O'Connor. He, you know, tagged in and out with Ricard Raquel on the first power play unit. So, uh, really, a lot of encouraging signs there with Jake. You know, and everyone's stopping short of giving any kind of like update or forecast or anything like that. But um, really, just to the naked eye, it, it really seems very encouraging uh, with regards to Jake Gensel's status. The fact that O'Connor was the other guy there is that a just in case, like, is he the guy if Gensel can't go on opening night or for the first couple, or was that just because he was available and there at practice today? I think he was maybe a little bit of a placeholder. I mean, it seems like Drew's really nailed down a pretty regular role in the third line there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's getting next to Lars Eller, but um, and they kind of had a, a bit of a Frankenstein uh, line for the third line there with Lars Eller, uh, newcomer Jansen Harkins, and uh, Colin White, a guy who's in the PTO. So they, I, I don't know that we'll see that line uh, entering the season, but it seems like you know Drew O'Connor was a little bit of a placeholder there, um, and you know Mike Sullivan was not afraid to ever experiment with guys too. You know, yeah, maybe put him up in the first line or you know try him on his off wing, what have you. So, um, uh, but uh, no, I mean for a couple of the preseason games here, and I think we, I think one of the home ones here, we saw a pretty good connection between Sidney Crosby and Ricard Raquel, with Raquel serving as a left winger. So that's another option they can turn to. Uh, for what it's worth, today here in practice, Ricard Raquel was back on his normal uh, side, uh, right right wing uh, on the Evgeny Malkin line. So um, they certainly have a lot of options. You know, a couple of these guys can play different positions, uh, you know, like Ricard Raquel, Brian Ross, et cetera. So, uh, but no, I, I would stop just short maybe of uh, reading too much of as far as Drew O'Connor uh, potentially being a left wing with Sidney Crosby for, for much sub- substantial time. Well, you let me into my next question then, Seth, because we have long heard about how Mike Sullivan likes to have ostensibly pairs and then a third guy for forward combinations. He thinks about the first two primarily and then dots in who the third guy will be. That's why, you know, Raquel and Rust bounce around on the right side. And you said it, Raquel can go to the left if he has to. So if it's Crosby and Gensel who are the pair on that line, who is the pair with Malkin? Is it Riley Smith? Is it Raquel? Yeah. Who's the second guy? 
I would say Riley Smith. I mean, you know, it's it's almost kind of like such an afterthought that they brought in, you know, a 20 goal scorer from the Stanley Cup champions who, by the way, scored the cup winning goal for Vegas there. Um, uh, it's almost such a, it seems like such a weird afterthought just given you know, how tumultuous this past offseason has been. And, you know, you bring in, you know, a mega superstar like Eric Carlson and, you know, Riley Smith only gets kind of pushed to the margins there. But, um, you've seen those two, uh, paired together consistently, you know, through drills or scrimmages or preseason games here. Uh, yeah, a big part of Riley Smith, yeah, he's a, he's a 20 goal guy. He's a 50 point guy, 60 point guy, you know. Um, he's also a really good four checker. And I don't know that he's going to be as, say, voracious, you know, voracious as, uh, uh, or feroc- you know, ferocious, however that saying goes. Ferocious? For me to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. I just got to spell him, not speak him. Uh, uh, you know, for as you know, aggressive as Jason Zucker was in that role in years past, um, I don't know, the, you know, Riley Smith's maybe not quite that level, but he's still pretty good there. He's a guy who can be that F1, as they say in the sport. Uh, a guy who can pressure, you know, a defenseman going back to retrieve pucks and force turnovers and, you know, allow guys like Evgeny Malkin to, to create things off of that. So um, they seem pretty dead set on, you know, even, you know, when things weren't nearly as certain with Jake, they seem pretty dead set on Riley Smith starting the season with Evgeny Malkin, uh, regardless of how things may be fleshed out with the first line there. So um, I would anticipate uh, Riley Smith being arc welded to Evgeny Malkin here to open the season. I was listening to Mark last week, Seth, and he talked in pretty high terms about blowing terms, really, about Eric Carlson and Marcus Pedersen, how that pair looked. Um, first of all, is that your observation as well? And if it is, how then is Graves working out with Latang? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, again, those two pairings uh, seem like they're they're pretty dead set on opening the season with uh, those pairings: Graves with Latang and, and Pedersen with um, Carlson. I, as far as you know, Carlson and Pedersen, I, I don't know if it's maybe just kind of lazy to say. Um, oh, they're two Swedish guys, so you know they're going to stick together. But I, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, Carlson kind of had a quip here today. He can communicate with uh, Pedersen in Swedish. You know, maybe keeps things on the down low. Uh, you know, with you know the opponents or, or you know who aren't Swedish, I guess. Um, but uh, you know, just on paper, Marcus Pedersen seems like a like a good you know option there to pair with. You know, he can be kind of that steady stay at home guy. Um, he certainly has you know some of the offensive talent and skill uh, to, to work with him and allow. Uh, Eric Carlson to be uh, you know the primary option there as far as attacking and things like that, but um, and as far as Graves and Latang, I, I think we saw maybe a few hiccups there. Uh, one of the goals that scored in uh, the Nova game, the game in Nova Scotia, uh, you know I think both defensemen kind of pinched in there a little bit prematurely, and uh, that left uh, you know uh, you know uh, Tristan Jardy kind of defend an odd man rush there. So yeah, I think you'll see maybe some growing pains there as, as far as those guys getting on on the same page, but. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I guess I, I, on paper, it seems like a pretty, you know, uh, ideal pairing. I mean, Ryan Graves almost strikes me as uh, maybe, a uh, what Brian Dumoulin was in his prime as a good countermeasure to Crystal Pang. Yeah. You know what? That was the book on him coming in very much a similar style player to Dumoulin. And it's interesting to hear you bring that up too. It sounds like he's living up to the scouting report. Now, what about the other four defensemen, the guys like, Joseph Ruedel, Shea Friedman, the, those four guys. Like, if if we were to just construct a pair from the best two at training camp, just who of those four, which two have played the best hockey to your eyes? Um, I think Chad Ruedel has, just based on the fact that you know you know what you're getting with Chad Ruedel. It's, it's it's very inert, and I say that in the most complimentary fashion. Nothing good or bad happens when he's on the ice. It's a the low event sequence whenever he's on the ice most times. 
Uh, P.O. Joseph's obviously the most talented. Uh, you give him being a first-round pick. Uh, got a little dinged up, in, I guess, in the Nova Scotia game. Uh, missed practice on Tuesday, but he's been uh, you know a full go here the last two days of practices. So, um, and for what it's worth, you know those two guys were serving as the third pairing uh, in practice here on Thursday. So. Um, you know, barring anything unforeseen, I would anticipate those two opening up the season as the third pairing. Ryan Shea has been an intriguing guy. Uh, um, it was kind of like a very under-the-radar signing. You just figure, okay, it's maybe a guy for Wilkes-Barre. I mean, he spent most of his career in the American League the uh, last few years with the Texas Stars, Dallas Stars American League affiliate. But um, they've really been intrigued by him, and they've been using him left and right uh, side. He's a left-hander, but they've been using him on the left side and the right side as both to see you know, how versatile he is in that area. Um, you know, Mike Sullivan likes to point out he's not just a guy that just you know bangs the puck off the glass and gets it out of the zone. I mean, he can do some things you know offensively or just you know getting the puck up ice. So um, they seem very intrigued by him. And um, uh, Mark Freeman, you know, we certainly know what he can bring. Uh, he certainly gets under the skin of the opponents you know, more often than not. And I think last night uh, the giant new scoreboard, uh, um, you know, got a very good clear look of him. You know, using a word that rhymes with. Uh, um, truck, I guess you could say, uh, at one of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, so I mean, we know what he brings. Uh, again, another guy who can play both sides. He's a right shot defenseman, but he can play the left side as well. Brings a physical element that isn't necessarily uh, abundant on this roster. So um, I think they see quite a bit of value with him in there. Um, uh, but uh, no, I mean, I, if they're playing a game right now, I would anticipate P.O. Joseph and Chad Riedel, uh being the third pair right now. Regarding the rest of the forwards, if it's Crosby, Malkin, Eller, and Achari as the centerman, and you said O'Connor is likely to flop back down on the third line with Eller, Carter's going to play just because he's Carter and still here, I guess, if for no other reason. Who are the other two wingers then? Is it Nieto and, and White? Is he going to win that last job on a PTO? What do you think? I think they're giving him every chance here to do that. Uh, I Frankly, I'm not sure I've seen much of him that stands out. And to be credit, to his credit, I, mean, I don't think he's played in the best lineups that they've uh, you know dressed here in the preseason. I think he's mainly played in you know some of the more American Hockey League heavy lineups. Uh, so I, I could see him maybe getting a lineup tomorrow, you know, uh, you know Friday night against Buffalo uh, with more of an NHL roster there. Um, uh, Redeem Sahorn has had a really good preseason and a really good camp. He looks like a much more uh, confident or a, sure, a player who's sure of his abilities and just you know and obviously you know you, you know coming from from Chechia he doesn't you know always you know know the language and the culture I think he's a little bit more used to to some of the off ice you know uh, things as far as being in North America and stuff like that just looks very aggressive though on the forecheck uh, you know it seems to be in the right places around the net you know for scoring opportunities and things like that and um, they've used him as a center they use him as a wing. Uh, uh, he's a little bit better at face-offs, things like that. So there's a lot of versatility in his game, and again, he's just had had, had a very strong camp here. Um, I, I wouldn't, I don't, I, I would probably label him maybe as a leading candidate over Colin White, okay, uh, just based on what we've seen already uh, to maybe be the right wing on that third line. Uh, but with you know Lars Eller, I mean, we certainly saw what he could do all those years of Washington. Uh, they brought him in to be kind of like that, you know, uh, steady third line center, kind of in the tradition of Jordan Stahl or Nick Benino or Brandon Sutter or whatever. Um, and you know, certainly plays a very complete game. So we know he's going to do there. Um, uh, and then the fourth line, it seems like it's a pretty good bet that it's going to be Noel Chari at center, Matt Nieto on the uh, left wing, and Jeff Carter at right wing. So uh, that's been a very steady trio, uh, you know, through everything here in camp. Um, so, um, you know, again, uh, they have depth, they have options here. Um, 
uh, and it certainly seems like they're they're much deeper uh, than they were maybe you know particularly you know through most of last season in terms of their bottom six options. Would they try in the power play today? Um, it was Crosby, Raquel, uh, Carlson, Latang, and um, Evgeny Malkin, uh, and they mixed in Jake Gensel a little bit in there as I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, Carlson, you know, seems like he's pretty much the only guy that's station uh, that's pretty much bolted on to any one area you know, at the point there. Crystal tanks, you know, work on the left flank there, you know, right, right shot. So he can fire some one timers. Um, and they kind of had Malkin Crosby and, and Raquel moving around, you know, Malkin, obviously, you know, we know what he can do with that, with that one time from the right circle there. Uh, Raquel was kind of in the slot in the bumper there and said, you know, uh, net front net the, to, or to the side, I guess. So, uh, but again, no one's bolted down in any one spot except for maybe Carlson there. So, um, again, I think you know things. The arithmetic maybe changes a little bit whenever Jake Gensel's available, but um, it seems like they're still trying to maybe you know work through some some hiccups or just try to figure out some things there as far as you know what what are some, maybe the better areas for some of these players to work in. You surprised Nylander went on waivers? Nylander, uh, Eunice Koppinen, and uh, uh, Andreas Janssen, uh, you know, a couple of the guys they brought in uh, this offseason under Dubas. So, uh, Nylander, um, I, I think there's still some legit hopes there for him. I mean, he's a former first-round pick. I think he was eighth overall by Buffalo in, like, 2017, I think. Um, to be clear, these moves are just, you know, to, 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 uh, primarily to see if they can get him, you know, to Wilkes-Barre and Scranton and everything. That's, you know, obviously a procedural thing there, but... Um, Nylander had some, you know, prominent roles here in the, I think for one game he skated on Evgeny Malkin's line. Uh, and, you know, yeah, he had a couple goals in the preseason here. Uh, a ton of talent just as, you know, just has never been able to really put together in terms of being a consistent NHL player. Um, yeah, granted he had a knee injury a couple of years ago when he was with the Chicago Blackhawks, but, um, you know, probably the most notable guy that they, uh, that they did put on waivers. Uh, um, I think, again, I think they still see something in him, but, uh, uh, Thirty doesn't bode well for his uh, NHL, you know, immediate NHL hopes uh, that he's uh, put on waivers here, you know, with four or five days before NHL rosters are due. Seth, thanks, appreciate it. We will start doing it again on the podcast weekly over at Breakfast the Benz, the Trib site, and we'll read you daily at Trib Live. Okay. Perfect, Tim. Thanks, man. All right, Seth Rorba. He covers the Pittsburgh Penguins and the NHL at Trib Live. Read him there. That'll do it for us today here on 105.9 The X. Mark is back tomorrow, and I'll be on with Mark for our podcast, the Madden Monday podcast at Trib Live on Monday and Madden Ben's Unfiltered as well. Don't forget about the pregame show on DVE, bright and early, 9 o'clock from Stage AE. Myself and Dale Lawley will get you set for Ravens and Steelers. All that coming your way on DVE and ESPN Pittsburgh. And, of course, the Penguins Friday night against the Sabres right here on your home for the Pens, 105.9 The X.